Well, hey there, Purpose Church. It is so good to see you. I have missed you so much. I've been on sabbatical for a few weeks now and my goodness, what a gift it's been to just connect with Jesus, to reconnect with uh, my wifey, Sarah, and our kiddos. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of a church that takes such great care of its staff and pastors and leaders. You guys are absolutely amazing. I imagine over this time, some things have changed in your life. And, and if you've seen me preach before, maybe you're thinking, wow, Eric, something significant has changed for you. And, and, and you're right. Uh, I shaved my head. Yes, I joined the Bald Guys Club. My uh, friend Justin was gracious and generous enough to uh, shave my head for me. This is me like kind of fighting him. I mean, I was literally having kind of an identity crisis preparing for this moment. I was realizing my hair was thinning out. It was time to go, but I wasn't quite ready yet. But then thankfully my family joined in on it and, and helped shave my head. But, but by the time it was all done, I was beginning to feel a little bit nervous. What, what would my kids say specifically? And so finally my kids came out and, and looked at me and, and you know how sometimes somebody important to you can just say the most perfect thing that just, just fills you with joy. Well, my kids didn't say that. What they said instead was, hey, Mount Baldy. And yeah, for about a couple weeks, the kids started calling me Mount Baldy. And then I, wanting to be the dad of the year, uh, I said, you know, guys, there's this little Bible story in 2 Kings chapter two, where some kids made fun of Elisha, the prophet for being bald. And not gonna tell you what happened, but basically a bunch of bears showed up and it just wasn't that pretty. But I am so glad that you are here today, that you are joining us. You know, I, I've just been so amazed to watch how so many people have responded to this series that we've been in. We Are Purpose, where we're talking about our vision, our mission, and our values. In fact, I was just talking with a couple last week who is brand new to our church. They've been coming since Easter. Their names are Lyle and Lisa. And, and Lyle was sharing with me that for like 30 years now, he's been disconnected from the church. And, and he'll read his Bible and he would just tell me, he said, I just feel like something was missing. And then he came to Purpose Church. He got plugged into a life group. He started to make some friends and study God's word together. And he said, the Bible is coming to life for him like never before. And my hope and desire is that throughout this series, you've experienced as you've started to apply some of these values to your life, you've seen God begin to change you and to work in you. And, and today we're talking about our value, generous people, transform the world. Generous people transform the world. And we're going to be talking about this simple idea that if you and I will be generous, not only will the world be transformed, but our lives will be transformed. That our lives will be better and richer and more meaningful if we will choose to be generous. But in order to talk about generosity, we have to talk about Money. Now, I know when I even say the M word that, that there's some of you who are thinking a few different things. In fact, there's at least four different groups that are thinking different things as soon as a pastor says the word money. Group number one, group, group number one is thinking this, this church just wants my money. And if you're thinking that right now, I want to set you at ease and I want to pause for a minute and just tell you this, we don't want your money. In fact, we actually want to give you something that, that, that we want to help you see finances, that we want to help you see your resources in a way that gives you freedom, 
in a way that's life giving to you. There's a second group here today. Maybe as you're watching this, as you're listening to this and a pastor is talking about money, your group two says, Jesus never talked about tithing. So why are we? And I want to encourage you that as we look at a number of different passages, we're going to see that the Bible does talk about generosity, does talk about tithing in some rather surprising and incredible ways. Maybe you're a part of group three. Group three would say, I've tasted and seen that generosity is the better way. That is, we're talking about generosity and money. You know what it's like to release the grip, the control of your money that, that really wasn't giving you what you wanted it to and, and instead trust your finances in God's hand. Handle your money God's way and you have tasted and seen the joy that comes from living generously. Or maybe you're a part of group four. Group four is saying, you know, I want to trust God with my finances, but I just don't know how. And I hope by the end of our time together, you have some more tools and resources and maybe a few next steps to take to do just that. Now, we have to begin by analyzing the question that our culture is asking us. This is the cultural question when it comes to money. The question that is asked in our culture that you and I are born into, kind of baked into, the question is this, how should I spend my money? That's the question around culture. In fact, companies are making billions of dollars. They're spending millions of dollars trying to help you buy their products. They want you to answer that question in their direction. But Christians, people of faith, people who follow Jesus, who are looking into the scriptures and trying to figure out if there's a better way, they ask a question a little bit deeper. And, and, and the deeper question is this, whose money is this? You see, that surface level question of how should I spend my money will lead you to all kinds of bad places if the deeper question, the more important question is not asked first. And that deeper question is whose money is this? Now, a couple of months ago, uh, eight months ago or so, uh, Sarah and I, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Mexico to officiate a wedding in Puerto Vallarta. And we just had an absolutely incredible time celebrating Francesca and Ryan. And it was an amazing time. And when we got to the resort, Francesca's dad, his name's Ray, he, uh, he gave Sarah and I an envelope and he said, we're so glad that you're here at the wedding. Here's our gift to you for coming. And, and we opened the envelope and, and inside of it was a thousand pesos. And then there was a short little note and the note said something like this. We're so glad that you're here celebrating this wedding. We're honored that you came out. What we're going to ask you to do is take this thousand pesos and bless the staff here at the resort. Give it out to anyone that you want here at the resort. The only thing that we ask is that you would be generous with this a thousand pesos. And I got to tell you, I felt like a holy Oprah. I mean, I was going around. I was saying, you get a hundred pesos, you get 200, you get 300. I mean, it was so fun that whole week to be sharing, to be generous with raise money. Now, now here's why it was fun. It was fun because this money belonged to Ray. 
That, in other words, it was dad's money. And, and Ray, the father, had made it crystal clear how he wanted us to spend his money. So the only thing we had to do was to hear from him, how do you want us to spend your money and then go and do it. I wonder if today for each one of us, might be a moment like I had in Mexico where you might hear from God's word how your heavenly father wants you to spend his money. And maybe that would change everything for you. And maybe it would actually transform the world. You see, money is actually a big deal to God. Money is a big deal to God. There's over 2,000 Bible verses that address money and possession. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus told have to do with money. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It, it, it's, there's, there's, there's this giant question within this verse that says, if you have resources and you're not being generous with others, is God even a part of your life? Look at what Jesus warns us of in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The lie in our culture is the lie of more. If you have more of this, you'll be happy. If you have more of that, you'll feel satisfied. If you have more of that, you'll feel content. You'll feel at peace with your body or with your life. Jesus says, do not fall into that trap. It, it kind of reminds me of the 90s rapper, the notorious B.I.G. Biggie Smalls himself wrote a song called Mo Money, Mo Problems. Literally, the lyrics go like this to the chorus. I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see, right? It's over and over again. The more money we come across, the more problems we see. And yet for the Christian, for the person of faith, and maybe this is a reason to consider following Jesus, is there's a secret when it comes to our money and it's this. More money plus more generosity equals more life. More money doesn't have to equal more problems. More money coupled with more generosity actually breathes and gives more Life And so what does it look like for generous people to transform the world? Well, well, before we get into that, let's watch some of our people of purpose and see if they know this value as well as you do. Let's watch this together. We're quizzing people on the core values here at Purpose Church. So could you finish this sentence? Generous people are very generous. <laughs> generous people give to generous people. Generous people change lives. So close. Generous people transform the world. Generous people transform the world. Finish this sentence. Generous people transform the world. Yes! Curtis, Curtis, come here. Curtis. Generous people Generous people change the world. So close! Transform! Transform, change the, uh, close. 
I love it. I love it. Well, hey, as we talk about generous people transforming the world, I can't think of any better passage to start with than 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing, he's closing up this letter to Timothy, who's who's a young church pastor leader in Ephesus. And, and this is what he says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, Paul began this passage, verse 17, saying, command those who are rich. And maybe immediately you're going, oh, oh, oh that ain't me. I am not rich by any standard. So this message does not apply to me. Well, let's, let's, let's hold it there for a minute. You see, the word rich here in the Greek original language is plusios. And, and plusios means to have resources that exceed the normal experience. To have, to have resources or wealth that exceeds the normal experience. There, there's this uh, organization called Giving What You Can. And, and Giving What You Can has reported that if you make $29,000 a year, you are in the richest 5% of the global population. In fact, they've also reported that if you make $37,000 a year, you are in the richest 3% of the global population. And if you make $58,000 a year, you are in the richest 1% of the global population. What is that? 8 billion people. You are in the richest 1% of the global population. And so dare I say that there may be some of you, maybe many of you watching who according to these statistics that you are a part of the rich who, who, whose resources exceed the normal experience. Now, now Paul is going to warn us that there is a downside to thinking it's my money. Remember that question, whose money is this? There's a downside to thinking it's my money. The first downside is, is arrogance. Let's go back to our passage. It says... Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. The, the Greek word for arrogant is really two Greek words smashed together. And, and the first is to think. And the second is, to th is, is highly exalted thoughts about yourself. You see, to be arrogant is to think highly of yourself. The danger with, with wealth and being rich sometimes is, is that we begin to think of ourselves as better than others. There's, there's another downside and, and it's anxiety. Look, look at how Paul continues. He, he says, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain as the markets change, as inflation rises, as, as the housing markets are up and down, as jobs come and go, it can be incredibly anxiety inducing to put our hope in wealth, in things, even though we can physically see them or we can read them on our bank accounts to, to put our hope in them is an incredibly dangerous thing because at the end of the day, things will fail you. 
You will have experiences that let you down. It reminds me of when my daughter Brinley, she gave me permission to share this. When Brinley was four or five years old, she decided to surrender her life to Jesus. She, she said, I want to be a Christian. And, and she was a part of our Awana program here at Purpose Church. And she decided to say yes to Jesus. And we were celebrating. And so we said, you know what? We're going to go big. We're going to celebrate. We're going to do the drive through at Del Taco and get $1 Del Taco milkshakes, which if you haven't had those, they're amazing. So we drive through and Brinley wants a uh, vanilla. I think she wanted a vanilla $1 milkshake. Well, something happened, miscommunication. Instead of giving her a vanilla one, they gave her a chocolate one. And as we're driving away, Brinley literally said these words. She said, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. She said, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I I thought, literally she said, I thought if I became a Christian, everything would be good in my life always. And we laughed so hard. And you know why? Because I think that too at times. Even though maybe I wouldn't verbalize it or you wouldn't verbalize that, we think that. We think, man, if I do the things that God wants me to do, everything in my life is going to work out. And yet the reality is there's going to be disappointment still. And if we put our hope in the uncertainty of our wealth, we will be disappointed. We'll be disappointed by things in our life. But then Paul says, while there's a downside to thinking it's my money, there's actually an upside to thinking in terms of his money. There's an upside to thinking it's his money. The first upside is this, freedom, freedom. Look at how the verse continues. But to put their hope in God. Here, Paul is comparing the uncertainty of wealth, the the ways wealth can dissipate so quickly, the way wealth can't go eternally where you'll be going. No, no, no. He's saying, put your hope in God. Why? God has unlimited resources. God will never go bankrupt. God has all the resources in the world. God is the only thing that can give you and I eternal life. Our money, our resources, what we own, the things we have cannot give us eternal life. They cannot forgive us. They cannot restore a relationship with God. Only he can. And so the best place to put our hope is in God. And when you do that, there's incredible amounts of freedom because it doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account. It doesn't matter how many investments you make. Your hope is secured eternally by the God who created you. You see, friends, if you came into a lot of money, I imagine you'd probably sit down with a financial advisor and you'd ask them all kinds of questions of what would be the best way for you to invest the new money that you had. Oh, think about it this way. God is the expert of all experts. He's the financial advisor of all financial advisors. Why wouldn't we go to him? And he tells us to start by not putting our hope in our wealth, but instead putting our hope in him. The second upside to thinking it's his money is enjoyment. Look at how this verse wraps up. But put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Number one, you have to think that everything you have, whether it's a little or a lot, everything you have is from God and he gives it for your enjoyment. You see, God loves to give you and I gifts and to provide for us, but not so that we would become obsessed with the gift, but so that we would fall in love with the giver. 
Are you more in love with the gifts in your life or are you more in love with the giver who has given you those gifts? So, so the question really is, well, what is God's solution to our money problems? Well, God, God has some solutions for our money problems. The, the first one is this. God calls us throughout scripture to budget and save. Look at these two verses in Proverbs chapter 21. The plans, the budgeting of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Or, or look at the next verse. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. So budgeting and saving are a part of God's plan, your solution for our problems with money. But then his second solution for us is an invitation to be generous, a calling to be generous. Let's go back to our first Timothy passage, verse 18. It says, command them, talking about those that are rich, which are all of us, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Paul basically says in three different ways, guys, you gotta be generous. You gotta be generous. I know you wanna hoard your money and hold on to it. I know for a long time you've put your hope in your wealth. Put your hope in God. Don't hold so tightly to it, but instead choose to be generous. Generous with your time, generous with your talents and generous with your treasure. Could I ask you a question? How are you intentionally being generous with your time? How are you being generous with your talents? And how are you being generous with your treasures, with your wealth, with your resources, with your paychecks, with all that God has given you financially? And when you and I do that, here's back to the secret. Something happens within us. Generous people transform the world, but they're also transformed in the process. It's why there are so many verses like Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 that say, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You see, it took scientists 2,700 years to catch up with what the Bible was already talking about. Did you know that, that there was a study done in 2017, a happiness and generosity study? And I just want to read this to you. Until 2017, there had not been a comprehensive study that looked at the measurable correlation between happiness and generosity. Professors Felipe Tobler and Ernst Fair, both from the Department of Economics at the University of Zurich in Switzerland, decided to change that. They did a neural map to investigate how generous acts affect the brain. You see, research has already shown that when you are happy, the ventral striatum part of your brain gets activated. But for this study, two groups were given money and half of them were told to spend it on themselves and the other half were told to be generous with it. The group that was asked to be generous was also given the opportunity to give more of their own money to meet the needs of the people that they were giving their money to. At the end of the study, the participants who were asked to give their money away and also gave some of their own money away, they reported feeling happier about those decisions than the group that just simply spent money on themselves. But here's what's crazy. It wasn't just a happy, nice feeling. In fact, 
Neurologically speaking, you remember that part of the brain that is activated when you're feeling happy, the the ventral striatum? Well, it turns out that each of the participants who gave their money away and were generous experienced heightened levels of ventral striatum activity than those who spent the money on themselves. Friends, in other words, the generous people were neurologically happier. Isn't that incredible? And yet the average American home, the average U.S. American household only gives 2% of their disposable income away. And that trend has been consistent for decades. Now, Now it's a lot higher for Christians, but look at this. In, in uh, 2022, there was a study that was just completed in September, like just last month, this was completed. They found out that only 21% of self-identified Christians give 10% or more of their income to their local church. Now, the same study reported that 55% of self-identified practicing Christians. So, so maybe the first group, they're saying, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home or I would identify as Christian, but maybe they're not active in their church. They're not, they're not connected. They're not spending time regularly with God. Well, this group of people that identified as, as practicing Christians, 55% of them give 10% or more of their income to their local church. They tithe, which raises the question, what is tithing? Maybe, maybe no one ever talked to you about that. That's, you're new to faith. You're kind of exploring, okay, so what does regular generosity of the church to the local church look like? Well, the tithe is, comes from a Hebrew word, which literally means tenth. So the word tithe in Hebrew means tenth. And, and it was, it's an ancient practice that the Israelites participated in and that Christians participated in, in the New Testament of, of giving away 10% of their income to their local congregation. Or I kind of like to use the word invest investing 10% into their local congregation, believing that as they do that, and this is our belief that as we tithe 10%, as we trust 10% of our income to our local church, that God will do amazing things through it. You see, giving to the church is like giving to a holy mutual fund where it gets diversified all over the place and so many needs in our community and around the world are met as the body of Christ together are generous, but it shows up all over the place. In fact, in fact, when you think of tithing, the first thought that comes to mind biblically is that Jacob in the Old Testament practiced it. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 28. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Well, not only did Jacob practice it, but the law, the Old Testament law actually commanded it. In, a, in Leviticus chapter 27, it says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every 10th animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. 
Well, not only is it commanded in the law here, but there's actually multiple places that talk about it in the Old Testament. In in fact, most scholars agree that there were actually three tithes that that the Israelites participated in. There was the tithe of the temple. There was the tithe of the festivals. And there was even the tithe that was more of a charitable tithe. In fact, it looks like as we add up the numbers that the the Israelite, the average Israelite family was expected to tithe 23.3% of their income, not just 10%, but 23.3%, which is why we're happy to report to you. We are asking everyone to increase their tithe to 23. I'm just kidding. No, we're not. No, we're not. But, But what we see is a practice of generosity within the people of God. Well, then God doubles down and he he requires it. Look at what it says in Malachi chapter three. It, It says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And then lastly, Jesus affirmed it. In Luke, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a 10th of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter, justice and loving God without leaving the former undone, tithing. So Jesus doesn't say it's an either or, it's a both. He says, my people will be defined by generosity and tithing and giving with their lives, their time, their talents and their treasures. And they will also be people of justice and love. But but friends, there's a deeper why behind the tithe. What is that why behind the tithe? It's not just God asking us to do something. There's a why behind it. Well, the first is this. Everything is a gift from God. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, it says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And there's also embedded in scripture, this idea that God blesses us financially with an expectation that we will be generous as he has been generous with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, Paul says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so friends, to let you in on the Holmstrom family, as Sarah and I have prayed about this, that, that since coming to Purpose Church, we've been tithing 10% here. That we give 10% of whatever God blesses us with because it's his money, not ours. And we like to do it through the push pay app. So we go to purposechurch.com slash give and sign up on there. There's an app that you can download, the push pay app. And, and every two weeks, money comes out of our account that equals 10% of what we make throughout the year. 
And every, every two weeks, I get an email from Purpose Church that says, thank you for being generous. We appreciate your donation. You're transforming the world. And can I just confess to you that every time I see that dollar amount that we give, for a split second, I think to myself, man, I could have used that this week. Man, if I had that money, I could buy that thing. I could get this. I could, I could have that. But because I'm not just asking the cultural question, how should I spend my money? But because I'm asking the deeper question, whose money is this? Two thoughts always come flooding back. And the two thoughts are this. Number one, my money is actually God's money. He owns all of it. He's just, it's dad's money. He's just asking me to steward it and to trust him. The second thought that always comes back to my head is this. More than I want something for myself, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. More than I want that thing for myself, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And when you and I tithe, when you and I are generous, when you and I trust God with our finances, we get to be a part of something incredibly larger than we ever could be on our own. Which is why there is an eternal reward for the generous life. There's an eternal reward for the generous life. Life. Let's look at the very last verse in our passage. In this way, 1 Timothy 6, 19, in this way, when, when we practice generosity, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly, truly life. See friends, I think what Paul is saying to us is this. Wealth, wealth in this present world is defined by how much you hold on to. However, being wealthy in the coming age is defined by how much you give away. And I just want to ask you a question, which age is going to last longer? Which age should we be living our lives according to? Which age matters in the grand scheme of things? Is it the present age where we, we're focused on all that we're holding on to, or is it living for the coming age where wealth is defined by how much you give away, by the generosity. And, and some of you, God has blessed you immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. And he is calling you even right now to be incredibly generous, to do something radical, to, to give to Purpose Church, to support other organizations, to be radically generous because we're living for the coming age. It, it kind of reminds me of an experience I had uh, uh, a few months ago. So a few months ago, for the very first time, I got to try on VR goggles and I was incredibly excited to wear these goggles. We went over to our friend's house, the, the Thompsons and, and Keith and Shelly had gotten these for their kids and, and they were playing around with them. It looked really fun. And, and it, it was my turn to finally put them on. And, and, and I, I knew, I knew I was safely in their living room. There was no one else around me. I was going to put on these VR goggles and I thought I'd feel invincible. So, so I, I, I put on the VR goggles. And as soon as I put on the VR goggles, I, I was transported into a world where I'm, I'm in an elevator. And all of a sudden the elevator goes up like 30 floors and the elevator door opens. And, and what's before me is a small wooden plank. And, and the instructions in the video say, walk out on the wooden plank. And before putting these goggles on, I, I, I thought to myself, this is going to be so fun. I, I, I get to step out on the plank. I get to, you 
you know, do a little bungee jump in. I mean, it's going to be so fun. Friends, can I tell you something? As soon as I put these goggles on and as soon as I got to the elevator and it opened up, I had a panic attack. I freaked out. I literally shivered away. I said, do not make me go out there. Do not make me go out there. I was absolutely terrified. And yet subconsciously, I knew I was just in a living room and yet I had worn these goggles long enough. I had been immersed in the virtual reality world long enough that it felt incredibly real. I think for some of us, we're wearing goggles thinking that's telling us a message that money is the most important thing in our lives. That our worth, our value rises and falls based on how much money we have. And my hope is that today, today's message was like a goggles off kind of moment. Where, where you could say, you know what? The world that I have been immersed in that says money is what gives me security, worth and value is, is a virtual reality. It's not the reality of God. It's the reality of our world. It's not kingdom reality. And my hope and prayer is that maybe after our time together, you're able to take off those goggles and you can actually see life, your money, resources, generosity through the reality of God. We have uh, some other friends, the Fishers, Justin and Tina, and and they were telling me a story uh, about how early on, actually right as they were getting married, they they felt God put it on their hearts to tithe 10% of whatever came in to literally to the penny. And, And this was a really scary ask from God for them because When they got married, they both didn't have full-time jobs. In fact, they were running a theater company and they didn't know if a show was gonna make profit. They didn't know where all their money was gonna come from each month. And so there was a part of them that wanted to hold on to every bit they had out of scarcity and fear. And yet they sensed God calling them to trust him. And all these years later, as they've continued that practice, you know what they've said? You know what they told me? They said, every single month, we have seen God provide for us. We have seen God take care of us. I think about when Brinley, uh, our, our daughter, when Brinley had open heart surgery, thankfully our insurance covered so much of the bill, but we did get a surprise bill from the hospital for $1,900. And I remember at that time, as we saw that bill, we thought to ourselves, how are we going to pay this? Well, we just prayed about that and kept that information to ourselves. And little did we know some friends on the other side of the country were praying for us. And God, God specifically told them something really special. A a few weeks later, we got an envelope in the mail from these friends of ours and, and the envelope had a little letter in it. And it said, we were praying for you. And God specifically told us to send you a check for $1,900. The exact amount that we needed to pay this medical bill. I think about that and I realize every single two weeks as we faithfully tithe our 10%, as we trust God with it, it is so clear. It's been so clear in my life. And I imagine in your life, if you've been practicing this, that God is faithful. And what's exciting is what God can do with you trusting him. He can build your faith and trust and courage in him like no one else can. I was in Kenya a few years ago and and Mary, who oversees and leads the children's shelter home in Kenya, she said this, people do not give because they have. People give because they feel. 
do you feel that God is calling you to trust him? Do you feel God leading you to trust him with your finances and to be generous? Maybe the question that we should close with is this. How and where is God calling you to invest generously the money he's given you? Well, hey friends, before we wrap up, before you log off, before you stop listening, I wanna invite you next Sunday to our 150th celebration here at Purpose Church. This is a historic Sunday for us. It's never happened before in the history of our world. We're in our history of our church. We're 150 years old. We're continuing to thrive. God is continuing to do amazing things. And I wanna invite you out next Sunday to come in person as we celebrate with music and, and moments of God moments from our history as we see that over the last 150 years, Jesus has been the hero of Purpose Church and Jesus will continue to be the hero of Purpose Church. Invite your friends, your family, your neighbors, everyone you know to come on out for this amazing, incredible, historic day. We're gonna have in and out trucks. It's gonna be incredible. All ages, everyone's invited. Join us next Sunday for our 150th anniversary. Have a great Sunday.